Hey there, McConaughey here. And I want to let you in on something. Master distiller Eddie Russell and I have created a new small batch bourbon, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for a smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch, real bourbon, no apologies. Wild Turkey Long Branch, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. 43% alcohol by volume. Campari America, New York, New York. Never compromise. Drink responsibly. Hi, guys. This isn't an ad, so step away from that fast-forward button. I have two quick questions for you. First, what are you doing on September 17th? And second, can you get yourself to Kansas City on September 17th? The Generation Y podcast is hosting a meetup. Nina, the host of the Already Gone podcast, will also be there. The Gen Y guys knew I was coming, and they were nice enough to give me billing on the event, though the truth is I'm going as a fan of both Generation Y and Already Gone. If you do make it to this meetup, make sure you come over and say hi to me. Meeting new people has been such a fantastic part of podcasting that I didn't expect, and I would love to meet even more listeners. Details about this meetup will be on our Facebook page, as well as the Gen Y and Already Gone Facebook pages. So I'll see you then. Hello everyone and welcome to Insight. My name is Ali and here with me today is my co-host Charlie. What's new on your side of the world? Uh, Not much, just school starting. That's been enough. That's your excitement for the week? That's my excitement and that's all I can handle. What have you been up to this week? Just school stuff, kid stuff, the usual, mum life. So tonight we will be discussing the very strange disappearance of Calico. So Tara Lee Calico was a 19-year-old sophomore at the University of New Mexico, Valencia. She was really smart. She had a high grade point average and she was studying to be a psychologist. She was also working part-time at a local bank to help pay for college. All in all, she just was your typical hard-working college student. On September 20, 1998, Tara leaves her home in Belen, New Mexico that she shares with her mother and stepfather, Paddy and John Doll, to go for her usual 36-mile bike ride. She leaves home at about 9.30 in the morning on Paddy's bike because her own bike has a flat tyre. Now, this bike would have been hard to miss. It was neon pink with bright yellow control cables. She told her mother that if she wasn't home by midday to come find her because she had a tennis date with her boyfriend at 12.30, And then she had a class late in the afternoon at 4 p.m. In addition to being a great student and really focused and driven and a hard worker, she was also extremely athletic. From what I read, she also was an avid runner. And I guess this is important when we're looking at a possible abduction scenario. I mean, she probably could have put up a fight and outrun most abductors. So when Tara hadn't returned by 5 past 12, Paddy went out looking for her as promised And when she couldn't find her, Paddy contacted the police. Early on in the investigation, the police knew that she had her Sony Walkman with her because, firstly, she always had it when she went out running or riding. And secondly, the day after she went missing, Paddy, her mother, found a cassette tape of the band Boston and part of a cassette player that matched the ones that Tara had owned on the side of the road. It was about three miles from her home on the opposite side of the highway, It was as if Tara had dropped it on the early part of her ride 
as she was heading away from the direction of her house. So when she was riding, she was listening to her Walkman cassette player with earbuds in. Do you ever do that, Charlie? I horribly walk at night with (gasps) headphones on. At night? At night. And I live in a big city. And yeah, I realize that it's, it's terrible. I must admit I do as well. And I did stop for a while when I first researched this case because it does affect the awareness around you. You don't know what's coming up behind you, be it a car that could possibly hit you, or, I mean, this is unlikely, but someone coming up behind you with a baseball bat or something. So actually, if all of you listening to this podcast out there take only one thing from this episode, please make it this. Don't wear your earphones or whatever in your ears when you're out running or riding. It's not safe and it could possibly get you murdered or kidnapped. True story. So anyway, a few days later, part of Tara's Walkman was found about 19 miles east, away from her normal bike route, near the remote John F. Kennedy campground. Patty believes that Tara was leaving a trail by dropping the pieces along the way. So what's interesting is there is no road up to this point that would take her towards the campground. I can't imagine her travelling further than her scheduled trip because she was already worried about keeping her schedule And she had asked her mother, she asked Patty to come get her if she wasn't home by noon. This also would make me think that she wouldn't deviate off her normal bike route because she knew her mother may be looking for her at some point. Yeah, I definitely don't think Tara left her bike route voluntarily. No. Now, I looked at Google Maps. We know from Tara's Charlie Project Missing Persons profile that she lived on Brug Road, Bellin. And I found Highway 47, which is the road that she normally would take for her bike route. Highway 47 runs north and south of Brug Road. Now, back in 1998, this this area was nothing but highway, vast nothingness for miles. And while it would have been all peaceful and tranquil for her bike ride, it doesn't make it easy to get help when you need it. And I mean, we are looking at 9.30 in the morning on a weekday, when most people would be at work or at school, meaning less cars on the road, especially when this road isn't a main freeway. And there has been, there was reports though that there was a suspicious vehicle following Tara. So let's talk about these reports. The witnesses reported that it was a dirty white or a light gray or some type of light colored pickup truck with a white handmade like camper shell on the back of it. And it was following Tara during her ride. The pickup is reported as likely being a Ford, and I've seen it reported as possibly a 1953 Ford in one place, or a 1954 was reported in another article. I hate inconsistencies, so of course I had to latch onto this, and I went to places I never thought this podcast would take me. I actually looked up the progression of Ford trucks over the years. Interesting. And trust me when I say nothing actually interests me less than this did. (laughs) But it was an inconsistency, so I had to follow it through. Anyway, in 1953, a new truck design was rolled out. And while changes were made over the next few years, it is my amateur and slightly disinterested opinion that the truck could have been anywhere in the 1950s, especially the mid-1950s, unless the witnesses were experts on 1950s Ford trucks. I don't know that they would have known the exact year. So, you know, just because I hate inconsistencies, we had to go down that rabbit hole. And the fact that it had a handmade shell on the back of it, that could have changed its appearance. So it may have 
resulted in inconsistencies of how old the truck was. According to the witnesses, they have said that it appeared that Tara was not aware that the truck was following her. And like we said, she was probably listening to her Walkman. But I'm not entirely sure how they would know that. I mean, she could have just been ignoring them. If it sounds odd to you that a young woman on a bike would ignore a truck following her, then you've just frankly never been a young woman. Because biking, jogging, walking, a car truck slows down for a bit, possibly even catcalling. I mean, most of us have learned to ignore this kind of stuff, for better or worse. When we have our future spinoff podcast on human behavior, we'll go into this some more. But Allie, you've been a young woman out jogging. I mean, you kind of learn to ignore those things. Exactly. And she was an, she was an attractive, athletic-looking girl. She would have attracted some kind of attention when she went out. And let's go back to her bike route just for a sec. This highway is not a multi-lane massive highway like... Ali was saying it's a smaller one it's actually just two lanes one in each direction I think if she was going one way while being followed and then she turns around to head home she would actually be facing whoever's coming towards her or maybe they didn't start following her until she was on her way home or maybe the truck following her wasn't even involved in this and we're just really latching onto this Ford truck because I spent all that time reading about them <laughs> I'm just trying to work through some of the scenarios in my head of what could have happened where she was being followed by the truck. It was never confirmed because the police never located the truck. If we knew more of when the abduction happened, we could maybe narrow it down. I mean, she left around 930. Her mom went to go get her shortly afternoon. So that's just about two and a half hours. Yeah. So as, as you've been talking there, I've been thinking it through in my head. They found the cassette tape and cassette player three miles. It looked like it was at the start of her trip, correct? Yes. So it leads me to believe that she was abducted not long after she started riding, if the dropped cassette player is related. Right. It could be that, because I've thought about scenarios with that as well, if it was dropped, it could have been she was three miles from her house leaving or three miles coming back. Okay. Three miles on a bike isn't that long for witnesses to have seen someone following her, but I don't know. Or it could be that it got thrown out a window of a, the truck after she was taken or she... Her mom has this theory that she was trying to leave breadcrumbs. She, If she was grabbed, maybe she did throw it out as a clue. Well, that's a good point because her being such an avid bike rider, three miles would have taken her no time to have done... So they would have had to have been following her the minute she left the house. Right. It doesn't make much sense, unless they were targeting her. I know I read at one point that there's somewhere on the, there's a soft shoulder on either side of this highway, and there were some bike tire tracks, but I don't know that it was necessarily confirmed they were hurt tire tracks, and certainly cyclists pull over for any number of reasons that have nothing to do, you know, with getting snatched. So... She could have just stopped to adjust her socks because they were writing down. I mean, anything could have happened there. That's right. So anyway, so after Tara disappeared and the police search for her, they cannot find her or her mother's neon pink bike and no witnesses come forward with, with any more information. So the case goes cold. But then about a year later, things get a little bit strange. So on June 15, 1989, which is nine months after Tara was last seen, 
A Polaroid photo is found in a parking lot in Florida. It was found by a woman and she apparently found it in a parking space near where a white Toyota cargo van was parked shortly before. Apparently she saw the van and went in to get some groceries and when she came out the van was gone and the photo was next to where the van had been parked. The Polaroid photo we can have a look at on both our Facebook and website pages and let us know what you think. The Polaroid photo shows an identified young woman who looks like she is in her teens to me and a young boy about, I don't know, about 8 to 10 years old. Would that be fair to say? I would put it spot on at 10. Okay. The girl and the boy are lying on some sheets and there is a blue striped pillow. The boy has his own very involved story that is even more questionable, if you can believe that, but we'll get to that in a minute. The kids in the photo have their mouths covered in duct tape and their hands seem to be tied behind their backs. Apparently experts say that the photo looks to be taken in the back of a white Toyota cargo van that has no windows and is manufactured in the late 1980s, not unlike the van that the witness saw in the parking lot. The girl in the photo has a book in front of her. It's a VC Andrews book called My Sweet Audrina, which just happens to be Tara's favourite book, according to Patty Dole. There is also a plastic cup and a squirt gun in the photo. But the book, looking at the photo, the book to me, it looks like it's deliberately placed in the photo so it can be seen. Now, at the time the photo was taken, I don't think it was public knowledge that this was Tara's favourite book. This didn't come out until after the photo was released to the media. And it wouldn't have made sense to have this mentioned earlier because it had no bearing on her disappearance. I would be leaning more towards the photo being a hoax if it was something that was general public knowledge, like something that Tara was wearing when she disappeared, for instance, just to muck around with the family. This unfortunately is what occasionally does happen. But to me, it seems that the photo was definitely deliberately placed there to be found. I definitely agree. I think the white cargo van, when I first heard the story, I was like, how stereotypical. But then that the witness saw a white cargo van, then the interior of where the photo was taken was confirmed to be a white cargo van. It really adds up. And as we include this picture, you can see the book is turned very specifically so that it is, I mean, it doesn't look like she was just reading it. It was turned for the camera's sake, in my opinion. It definitely didn't seem accident. The book didn't seem accidentally placed, and neither did the photograph. No, and the back of my car is a mess. And if you took a picture of that, it wouldn't. You wouldn't be able to see things. You wouldn't be able to see things specifically like you can see the book in the photo. Right, that makes sense. Right. But on this book as well is a series of numbers that could be a phone number, but it's unreadable. It could have been any up to 300 possible number combinations, with 57 of these being valid phone numbers. I would assume that the police have checked these out, though, and they didn't lead to anything. And just thinking, was there, I didn't read, but was there any CCTV footage at this grocery store? I couldn't find anything. I didn't see anything, and in the 19... 19- 80s, late 80s, early 90s. I mean, I, I would expect there not to be or not to be anything of any quality, but I didn't see anything that they found a CCT of it. So if this is Tara and it hasn't been 100% concluded that it is, there has been several theories, I guess, to whether this is Tara or not. I don't think it's a hoax photo. It might be a fake photo in terms that I'm not entirely convinced that it is Tara Calico. 
but her mother Patty is completely certain this is definitely her daughter. Now I know that you're going to say that of course she does, and that if and that if you're a parent of a missing child, you just want answers. But Patty looked at a heck of a lot of photos of potential sightings of Tara, and she had rejected them all up to this point. She flew to Florida specifically to see this photo in person, and this is the only one that she is definitely sure is Tara. And this photo was sent to experts, and they had differing opinions. Yes, so Scotland Yard analysed the photo, and they said that they believe it is Tara Calico. However, the Los Angeles Police Department analysed the photo, and they said it wasn't. And finally, the FBI had a look at the photo, and they said it was inconclusive and that they weren't sure either way. Right, so send it to three places and get three different answers. Exactly. Get one on each side and one on the fence. Okay, so then there is Michael Henley. Do you want to talk about the boy in the photo, Charlie, or what is believed to be the little boy? Yes, Michael Paul Henley Jr. was a nine-year-old boy, and he disappeared about five months before Tara was last seen. In addition to going missing not long after the other, he also lived in New Mexico. On April 21st, 1988, Michael, his father, and a family friend had gone camping in the Zuni Mountains, which is about three hours away from where Tara went missing. Less than half an hour after they arrived at the campsite, Michael had wandered off and vanished. The average low temps for the Zuni Mountains in April is 25 degrees Fahrenheit, which is negative 4 degrees Celsius, so very cold. Finding him before the overnight lows hit was vital, but to make things difficult, a snowstorm blew in and covered much of the search area in snow, which made it that much more difficult. The search by police, family, friends, nothing found any trace of Michael. So after the photo made national news on a current affair, Michael's parents were made aware of the photo and they were convinced it was Michael. However, we know now that it most likely was not him, in my opinion. In June 1990, a ranger found Michael's body only about six or seven miles from the campsite where he disappeared. It's believed that it was just an unfortunate accident of him wandering off, getting lost in the forest, and then dying from exposure. How heartbreaking would they have been for the family with him being so close to where they were looking? So close but yet so far sort of thing. Just a few miles away. I mean, it's possible if we're going to really kind of explore theories here that Michael was taken and then dumped back on the mountain where he was taken from. And really, the only support of this is how he was found. Research on severe hypothermia, there's a behavior called terminal burrowing. And this is the person will do something to hide away. Because this is past the point of shivering and past the point of disorientation, it's believed that this is a primal behavior rather than a deliberate one. So people who are lost will hide under benches, hide in closets, under brush, and such. And this was not the case with Michael. He was found out along a fence line. It's interesting to note, it's not evidence, but it, you know, it's something to talk about. The terminal burrowing behavior isn't always seen. And more often, terminal burrowing is mistaken for body concealment, and then murders assumed when it wasn't the case, more often than, than it going the other direction like this. So why his mother was... Almost certain it was her son in the photo. I mean, wishful thinking, because it would have meant her son was alive. 
But if you guys look at the photo, you'll see there's not that many details of his face or his body. The tape takes up almost half his face and his head is leaning on a pillow, obscuring the side of his face. I just think it's not a really great picture to try to identify somebody with. Yeah. Tara, or not, I sh there you go with my opinion there. The person who may be Tara, she's much more visible. There's a lot more of her body, Correct. a lot more of her face, a lot more details. Yeah, I mean, I personally think he did die of exposure. And you can find close-ups of the boy in the photo. And looking at that against photos of Michael, I don't think they look anything alike. I really think the most likely scenario in this case is that he died of exposure. Absolutely. I agree. So a couple more things before we move on to the next point. Firstly, there was also a witness sighting of what is believed to be the same girl in the photo. And she is walking along a beach in the same area of Florida. Witnesses say that this same girl was walking with several unidentified adult men and they appear to be giving her verbal orders. Going completely off case here, but wasn't there the same sighting with Amy Lynn Bradley? I've thought of some parallel. This story and Amy Lynn Bradley's story, I feel like there are some parallels there. And this is definitely one of them, is being seen in the company of what appear to be controlling men. Exactly. So I think this photo was in the news and eyewitness reports are notoriously unreliable. I don't think this was the same girl, even if, and it is a big if, this did indeed actually occur. And secondly, in this first photo, there is a discoloration to the girl's calf. Apparently this helped convince Tara's mother that this was her daughter because Tara had a scar on her right calf from a car accident that she had when she was younger and that the scar is in the exact same place as the discoloration in the photo. However, with the resolution of the photo that is available to us, as you said, Charlie, it's just a bad old photo, and it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to make out anything myself. I mean, there is a discoloration that I can see, but I don't know what to make of it. I couldn't tell that it looked like a scar. Now, I have a child who has an unusual birthmark, and so if I saw that... If I saw a discoloration in a photo in that location, I would be more apt to think it would be my child's, you know, birthmark. What are the odds the discoloration would be in the same place Tara had a scar if it wasn't her leg and her scar? And I'm wondering if the photo that we see is just a copy of the photo that Patty saw. Maybe she saw a better copy of the photo than what we do. A high resolution one. So now there are two more photos that did surface that were shown to Tara's mother. The first photo was found on a construction site in California sometime after the first photo. This one is a blurry photo that shows a girl's face with tape covering her mouth again. But the important thing to note is that this photo has a blue and white striped pillow that is identical to the one shown in the first photo. So there is some sort of consistency there. You can also note that the type of Polaroid used in this particular photo wasn't available until June 1989. This is the same situation as the original Polaroid found, where the type of film wasn't available until May 1989, so there is no way these photos could have been taken the day that Tara was abducted. They would have had to have been taken months later, so that's another point that should be considered. She very well may have been alive for months, this points less to sex trafficking for me because if you abduct someone for the pure reason to sell them, you keep them around for months and months just to take photos of them. 
They are a business deal, pure and simple, something that you trade for money. It doesn't seem to make sense to me if these photos are indeed of Tara. So the first photo I'm on the fence about, but the second photo I definitely think was a hoax. I think that it's just a straight up hoax. So I read on some forums that apparently there have been some instances where truck drivers have reported seeing someone that resembles Tara working in strip clubs or as a prostitute all across America, but no one has been able to follow this up or confirm anything from what I can find. So I don't know if this means anything. Again, eyewitness testimony and all, but I mean, this would be keeping more in line of something that happens in the sex trafficking industry more so than keeping someone around for months and having her pose with an unknown boy. Right. Or with sex trafficking, you would expect working the streets or truck stops or also being transported out of the country. Exactly. So, yeah, you would imagine that if she was sold into sex trafficking, she would be in, I don't know, Mexico or another South American country, not in America still. We do have issues with sex trafficking in the United States, but... It's very often people who are already vulnerable, runaways, or people who have addiction issues being lured into it by someone who's basically holding the drugs over their head or that sort of thing. It's less common for it to be just someone who was kidnapped. So I think if it was someone who was kidnapped, who had the the will and the strength that you would expect Tara to have, and I'm sure she did have they would have had to get her out of the country in order to control her. Exactly. So there was also a third photo. Did you want to talk about that one, Charlie? Yes, this is the Amtrak photo. And we are going to talk about yet another photo that's not available to the public. I've seen people reference seeing it in online forums, but nobody actually has a link to provide it. Yeah, I did say that there was apparently available on the site 4chan and I try not to dirty myself by visiting that site but I took one for the team and went searching but the only one I could find was was a photo that is no way Tara or related to any photo that was found by the description. I won't go into details of what that photo was but I would recommend that if you do go to 4chan looking for it that you don't search at your workplace or any public place for that matter. Or with your children nearby. Exactly, because the photo does feature gratuitous nudity. This photo is a woman sitting on an Amtrak train with a male passenger next to her. The photo is blurry, and the man in the photo is kind of looking away so that you can't make out what he looks like. Conveniently. The woman is loosely bound in gauze, and her eyes are also covered in gauze, and she has large black-framed glasses on. The film for this photo wasn't made available until February 1990, so we know it was taken after that. This photo, Tara's mother says she thinks is a hoax. She believes that the first photo is definitely Tara, the second is possibly Tara, and no way the third one is. This third photo just sounds bizarre, to be honest. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm imagining the trains that we have in Australia, they are quite open. I think if someone's sitting there with gauze all over their face, it would be very noticeable and someone would have reported seeing that. Yes. I mean, we're not talking like Amtrak had private sleeper cars these days. I mean, it's just, it's like sitting in a bus and it's just a bunch of seats people would have seen. And apparently someone saw enough to take a picture of it. So anyway, a timeline is set up with these photos and no one knows for sure whether these are the real deal or not. 
It is possible in my eyes, but for sure, the police are taking these photos very seriously. And I mean, there really hasn't been any other missing person that fits the girl in the photo. When you look at the online forums, you don't get, it could have been this girl or it could have been that girl, like you do in other situations. As far as I know, there hasn't been any other missing person that has been speculated to be the girl in the photo. Also, as far as I know, there hasn't been any other little boy that has been mentioned as the boy in the photo either. That's really struck me is that after Michael Henley was more or less ruled out as the boy in the photo that no one else has come up and no one else. I mean, if you go on any of those, any like web sleuths or um, the Doe Network, people are constantly trying to match pictures and really help connect bodies with missing people and that sort of thing. So you would imagine that people would have done that with this, but I couldn't find a lot out there except that the boy might be Michael Henley, but now it's probably not. And then then people saying whether or not they think the girl is Tara, but not really giving any alternative explanation except that the picture was a hoax. I did see on Web Sleuths one person did say that it could have possibly be Laurie Erica Ruff, but that was shot down pretty quickly, I think, based on age. Yeah, I think the timing's off on that. So on June 9, 2009 and August 10, 2009, the Albuquerque police received two letters that were postmarked Albuquerque, New Mexico. The first letter included a photocopy of a photo of a young boy with sandy blonde hair. Someone had drawn a black stripe of ink on the photo to cover the boy's mouth to make it look like his mouth was covered in duct tape like the previous photo. The second letter just contains the original photo. I couldn't find anywhere what the letter actually said, though. On August 12, 2009, the Star newspaper in Florida received a letter, also postmarked Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the same photo was included with black marks covering the boy's mouth. Of course, none of the letters had a return address or anything indicating who the boy actually was. Now, these photos and letters are tied back to the Tara Calico case for a couple of reasons. Firstly, the boy in the photos apparently looks remarkably similar to the boy in the original photo with the young girl. However, whether they are the same boy or not has never been confirmed. And secondly, the photos were sent to locations that are related to the Tara Calico case. New Mexico is where she lived and went missing, and Florida is where the photos were found. Okay, so let's introduce the Sheriff of Valencia County, Renee Rivera into the mix. From what I've read online, the people of Valencia County aren't the biggest fans of Renee. Did you want to talk about what he said about Tara's disappearance? I also looked up just to get a feel for the sheriff, and there are a lot of complaints about him out there. But specific to Tara's disappearance, 20 years after she disappeared in 2008... Sheriff Rivera came forward and said outright that he knows what happened to Tara. He also intimated that it wasn't a huge secret among law enforcement in the area. According to him, there were two teenage boys who knew Tara, and they were following her in the truck while she rode her bike. They went to talk to her or grab her, and the truck accidentally hit Tara's bike, and the men got scared after Tara threatened to call the police, so they killed her, which... Seems like an overreaction. But these two local teens, who are now grown men, hid the bike and Tara's body with help from other friends and possibly even their parents. 
So Sheriff Rivera claims to know not only what happened, but who's responsible. He said he knows who these men are, who their parents are, and he even claims to have evidence against them. However, he says he can't make a case without a body. So what is this evidence that he has? I'm sure you're wondering. So are we, because nobody knows. He's provided nothing except his own story to back up these rather bold claims. I have to assume that he doesn't want to give away something that might be needed to build a case, such as releasing the names of witnesses who could possibly be intimidated by the suspects. However, I have a hard time buying that his evidence is as solid as he seems to think it is. Not having a body is not an automatic block to building a case if you have solid evidence otherwise. Tara's parents have passed on. Her stepfather is still alive, and he has been a vocal critic of Sheriff Rivera's decision to voice his theory when he's unable to build a case and unwilling to back up his claims. I mean, I can't say I disagree. I think the sheriff could have done a plea for additional information without being so very specific about the scenario he thinks happened. Yeah. If you know beyond a reasonable doubt who did it, and you, you must have some evidence of some sort. Someone must have told him something or he must have found something. To me, that would be enough to get the ball rolling, in my opinion. So why wouldn't you pursue it further? Why would you just drop it? I mean, bringing them in for questioning at the very least. There are officers that are trained to get confessions out of people. So why not at least bring them in and try? I don't know what Renee's statement did besides rubbing salt into the wound of Tara's poor family. He made this statement eight years ago and nothing's come of it since then, except that people online in discussions of the case say, oh, well, they know what happened. It was this, this, um, these two guys and they killed her because they accidentally hit her and the sheriff said so. Because when someone who is a police officer is speaking, they're speaking with a certain amount of authority and people pay attention. So I think he has a greater responsibility to not put out information until he's ready to back it up. Exactly. Exactly. And going back to what you brought up, Charlie, um, Patty did die in 2006 and her biological father, Tara's biological father, died in 2002. So they passed away not knowing what happened to Tara. I guess that's one of the saddest things in this situation, besides the fact that Tara was never found, of course. And Patty and Tara's stepfather continued to live in the house in Bellin for 15 years after Tara disappeared. And then that's when they moved to Florida. I don't know if that's related to that that is where the first photo was located or not. But she died certain that it was Tara in the first photo. Whenever she talked about Tara in the media, she talked about it as if that was definitely Tara in the photo. So we know that Tara was obviously taken somewhere, be it dead or alive. I'm personally leaning more towards being taken alive scenario for reasons we've gone through. We know that her Walkman was broken, which leads me to think that she was either hit by a car or it was broken in a struggle, and that it fell on the ground and broke. But the fact that it was broken and pieces scattered leads me to believe that she was moved in a vehicle. I also don't believe that it's likely that only one person was involved. You got to think that if one person hits her and then they've got to get her in the truck, get the bike in the truck, that all takes time, and the longer you're just hanging around on the side of the road the more likely it is that you're going to be seen by someone driving past. I think that it is likely that more than one person is involved here. The thing is that if you have more than one person involved, it makes it more likely that someone cracks and slips up and says something. 
It doesn't always happen, of course, but it does happen. The hit and run theory makes sense to me in the sense that it very possibly could have happened. Cars are going, they're not going slowly on this highway. She's riding on the road and possibly she was hit and the person or people in the car panicked and decided to to cover up what they did. Maybe they were drinking. I mean, it was in the morning, but, you know, that doesn't stop people. However, that does say that it wasn't her in the photos, and I'm still on the fence about if it was her in the photo. So I have multiple, I have a lot of cognitive dissonance going on right now because I'm holding multiple theories that contradict each other at the same time. Yeah, I mean, this isn't my preferred theory, but it does make sense. It is a possibility of what could have happened. I think it's a solid possibility. So something that has stuck out in my mind since I started researching this case The suspicious vehicle that was apparently following Tara was thought to be a 1950s modelled car. That would make it, what, 30, 35 years old when Tara disappeared? So a car of that vintage would need a fair bit of TLC. I wonder if anyone checked with any mechanics in the area. Actually, do you know who was a mechanic and lived about an hour north of where Tara disappeared? I don't even want you to say his name. David Parker Ray, the toy box killer, that's who. For those who don't know, David Parker Ray sexually tortured and allegedly killed up to 60 women in a $100,000 homemade torture chamber that he called his toy box, which is for all intents and purposes a torture chamber that he built in an old mobile home. I will save you all the details of what he did to his victims. Ray would often have recorded an audio tape of himself to play for his victims when they regained consciousness. Tara disappeared in the time frame of him committing his crimes, and he mentioned in his recordings on the tapes he played for his victims that he and his girlfriend would drive that far or further to find a victim, and that they rarely returned empty-handed. Look, I don't know if that's what happened, but it's worth putting out there. And one of the crazy things with David Parker Ray is he was never convicted of murdering anybody, even though they suspect he may have had, you know, 30 victims. The time frame does fit. It does fit, and the area fits. But I don't know if she, if Tara would be his target. She doesn't fit his victimology. Look, I'm going to go way out there now, but stay with me. To me, and if it is Tara in the photo, it more points to a scenario, kind of like a JC Duggard situation, where a crazed lunatic has seen Tara and gone bingo, grabbed her and made her his quote-unquote wife for X amount of time. He gets her her favourite book. He kidnaps a child to make a family. Then he looks after her, feeds her and clothes her. I think that much of that is evident from the photos, that they are well fed. They don't look malnourished. Both Tara and Michael's family pointed out that much when they saw the photo. I want to go back to the book real quick because I saw a lot of people saying, you know, the book might, it might not be connected to her to Tara but that the book itself is about brainwashing and that might be and you've read the book haven't you I have read that book and I can't get that time back in my (laughs) life having read that book but I can absolutely had I read it as a teenager I think I would have appreciated it a lot more it's not V.C. Andrews most famous book which of course is Flowers in the Attic I'm not saying it's it's an obscure book but it's not one that I mean, I I don't know, maybe every listener is going to email me and tell me that they read it, but I don't run into a lot of people who have read this book. So it just seems so odd to me that that's the book. It is about brainwashing, but in such a completely different context that 
I wouldn't think of it being a message in that regard. That it was just someone who was sending a message that they had taken these random children and brainwashed them. I wouldn't see it that way, but I could see it as a message either from Tara, purposely making sure it was in the in the picture, yeah. or the kidnapper. Yeah. Could be random. There's always a chance of it. It is just a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. I think that it was there for a reason. The placement of it and that it's not really that common, even if someone knew her favorite author was V.C. Andrews, that's just... A rather random pick. If you knew someone's favourite author was V.C. Andrews, you wouldn't pick that one. You'd pick, as you said, Flowers in the Attic. Yeah, exactly. So I guess in the sex slave type theory, there's also a chance for Stockholm Syndrome, where they are so brainwashed by their captor, they don't try to escape, that they feel like they need their captor. And there are cases where women have been held captive for, look, 20 plus years, I truly believe that Tara is no longer alive. However, there are stranger cases out there. So did you have any closing thoughts? What do you think happened? So we go into all of these cases where I have my preconceived notion. I changed my mind 700 times while I (laughs) research. You ask me what I think before record and I'm like, I don't know, maybe this, maybe that. And then we talk about it and then I feel like, I don't know, I generally feel like I settle in a direction. I don't feel any more settled than I did starting this so I don't know it's an interesting case because of the photo and also when you start thinking about what type of person is sending hoax photos what type of person takes photos like that as a joke I mean you kind of go down different paths I learned a lot about Ford trucks but in the end I really don't know what happens and it's just so sad that somebody can disappear I just, I, I'll say this at the end of all of our missing person cases. I just can't believe that someone can just disappear, but it happens. What makes my sense in my mind is that she was abducted and kept for a period of time as, as a sex slave or whatever. And that's it really. And that it, if it is her in the photo and you know what, I'm putting it out there. I do believe it's her in the photo, but I will say it again though. It has never been confirmed that it is her in any of the photos And if you look online, there are clear camps of those who definitely believe it is her and those who believe it's not her. But you can have a look at the photos and decide for yourself. Whichever way, if it is a fake photo in that it's not Tara, it is disturbing to me. It's just a disturbing case in general. If it's not Tara, then we have a missing girl and another girl who's being held A lot is made about her facial expression, that she looks scared, she looks like this. To me, she just looks really, really angry in it. I really don't think the photo itself is a hoax, even if it's not Tara, and that would be just another layer of awful that there is another woman out there in a situation like that. One that no one's ever tied anyone to her, so it's just... And possibly nobody's even looking for. That's crazy to me. But in October 2013, there was a strike force of six people put together just to investigate Tara's disappearance. So I guess there is always the chance that they could solve it. I hope so anyway. But I guess we may never know what happened. With each year that passes, the case just grows colder. But maybe this this strike force may find something. Unless the sheriff is going to talk about more that he apparently does know. I can't see anything being resolved in this issue. 
I really think unless the sheriff is correct and it was somebody who accidentally hit her or whatever and his theory is correct, unless it's that scenario, this is one of those cases that I don't see getting solved or resolved anytime soon. But if it is Sheriff Rivera's theory, if that is correct, I mean, I could see that getting resolved because he has a he has people he thinks did it. He has some, like, a direction to go. Otherwise, I don't think so. Because, I mean, if these if there's a couple of teenage guys at the time that did hit her, which would make them, like I said, 30s now, if they were going to slip up, you would assume they would have slipped up by now. I mean, let's say when they're old age, they like a deathbed confession type thing, I don't see them admitting to what they did now. Right. If it was them and then they involved friends and then they also involved parents, that's a lot of people involved in this scenario. And yet there's not enough evidence to pursue any of them. And no one's ever said anything. It doesn't make sense. I'm not really sold on that. Unless the sheriff comes out with more of his evidence, which, of course, it's his right to hold off on any ongoing investigation. But he probably shouldn't be giving conclusions either if he's going to hold off on the evidence. But if he ever gives out that evidence, then we can take another look at that. Okay, so please be sure to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or any of your other favorite podcast app. You can listen and view our show notes and research on our website, which is insightpod.com. We're on Twitter at InsightfulPod2 if you wish to um, tweet Charlie. Or you can chat to me on Instagram at InsightPod. Please email any show suggestions or general comments or ideas to insightfulpod at gmail.com. And if you like the show and wish to donate, we are on Patreon. All donations go towards making the show bigger and better. And we currently have a very cool premium mini-sode for patrons. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash insightpod for more information. See you next week, everyone. Bye, guys.